This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. My next guest, Ken Napolitano. I first met Ken about 14 years ago, Ken, by my math, when he was at Bloomberg. He had gone from a regional head of sales to global head of sales. Then when I met him, he was a global head of enterprise sales. And I kept at what I was, I sold and consulted with Bloomberg. And I kept hearing this name, this guy, Ken Napolitano. All these people said he'd mentored him and coached, was this great guy. So I came to know him at Bloomberg. Then Ken went on to become the global head of sales at Iron. Then was recruited to be the chief sales officer at Wheels Up. He had a fantastic run there for five years, smashing goals and developing people and growing a team. And now he is the chief revenue officer at Prequent. So he's back in the data business in the financial industry. And last but not least, I've written about him twice in my books. So Ken, my, my, also known as chapter two, has joined us today. <laughs> And Ken, I'm so thrilled to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to be able to kind of share a little nuggets along the way that have really helped me evolve into the leader I'm in uh, and the position I'm in today. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to try in 25 minutes to capture like 25 years of sales and uh, leadership wisdom. I'll do my best. So Ken, let's just dive right in. Let's talk about lessons you've learned and this is a challenge given all that you've done, right? But what's the most important lesson that you've learned about leading a sales team? The real crux of what I've learned over the years is when to push and when to pull. I look back at my career over the last 20 years as a, as a global head, and I attempt to really dig deep into the leader I was 20 years ago versus the leader I am today. And I think the, the lesson that really continues to shine and and really kind of come to the forefront is what Peter Grauer, who was the CEO of Bloomberg years ago when I was there, would talk about. It was the and factor. Peter would go on to talk a little bit about you could be a demanding leader and a compassionate leader. You could be detail-oriented and focus on the big ideas. And when I started to evolve as a leader, the ability to know when to push and when to pull and the ability to say there are times to push the organization and there are times to pull and to be able to understand the timing, when to challenge your people, when to pull back a little bit is really the key to being able to maximize the return on investment that you as a leader look for in the people that you're developing. So I love the, the, the reference to Peter and the, the and, it's a great anecdote, but, but tell me more, like when did you learn 
about like there's this balance between pushing and pulling. Like when what was there a moment when you realized it, or are there examples when you're like, this is why this is such so an important. So I, I think when uh, I took on my first global role back in 2005, and I was responsible for the Bloomberg Trade Book uh, sales organization globally, I took a very scientific approach, a very data driven approach to developing the go to market, and. Truth be told, I probably leaned more to the science and started to really understand the value in the art and the balance in science and art as I moved into the enterprise vertical and was dealing with a much bigger remit. At the time, the Tradebook organization was about 130 salespeople and moving into the enterprise vertical where it was closer to 500 globally the ability to really develop and cultivate relationships with my directs and understand what really made them tick. I'd say the the value of balancing science and art really started to materialize during those years. And it was really important yeah. to not only rely on the data because data drives decisions. And I have always, I've always taken a very data-driven approach to making decisions, but then also involving more of the the qualitative side to things as well, which I believe has rounded out my skill sets and my experiences as a leader is, so when you, when you think in terms of pushing, and, and I, I really believe when I say when to push is, is when to drive the, the data-driven approach, when to use the more scientific uh. aspect and how you balance the, the pull, which is more of the art, the more of the EQ side and being able to understand more about the people you're working with and what really drives them. What are their aspirations? So the people leadership side coupled with the scientific go-to-market, I think has created a, a very valuable kind of balance in, in my experiences and now what truly the, the leader I am today. Yeah. It's a great, and great examples of and here. Pull and push, science and data. Yeah, the science, the science and the art. And, and I think that science and the art mirrors the pushing and the pulling. If you were to, to visualize that, it's really, when do you dig deep into the science? When do you really zoom in into the weeds? And any, any leader that is going to learn how to push and, and when to push and when to pull, th there'll be times when they zoom into the weeds and, and get into the details and then have the ability to zoom out and focus more on the on the EQ side of of cultivating and developing the relationship. So there's that balance. But uh, certainly, I learned a lot from the and factor. Yeah, sounds like it. So thinking back to Ken' early career as a leader, were you always sort of equipped to balance the and and the, and the kind of have the incorporate the EQ, the emotional intelligence? into the way you led, or is that something you've developed or uh, take us down that path? Explain how that has, uh, how you've gotten to where you are there. I, I think it's, it's really been a journey and, and I've developed, I leaned much more on the scientific data-driven side initially in my career as a leader. And there's no doubt the value of course, of, of that approach. However, understanding more about the why has always been a part of the business that's been important to me. So for example, when we would have our pipeline meetings and our weekly business reviews, it wasn't good enough just to provide the data. It wasn't good enough just to 
articulate, you know, what's closing this month, this quarter, understanding and peeling the onion back and understanding the why, why are we winning and why are we losing and ensuring that we were effectively executing the discovery stage of the sales engagement. As you often say, Matt, understanding the buyers and how they buy and, and truly being able to identify what problem you're solving, what opportunity you're capturing or what outcome you're delivering. And as you know, that, that comes straight from the, the coaching that I've learned from you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the credit, but you know, but I, so I think that for the people listening though, what you're saying is look, and, and some of this, this high emotional intelligence, you brought some of this to the game, let's face it. And that's why, you know, to an extent you've had as much success as, as you had as a seller and as an early leader, right? But these are things you can develop. Like you can you can develop your emotional intelligence and your ability to connect, your ability to get behind the why and connect with people, all of those things. That's sort of what you're describing as the art. But these are things you can develop over time, right? It's not like you're... W- without a doubt. And and I really think it comes down to when we talk about the EQ side, it, t- it comes down to building trust. And when you take on a a new role as a leader and you recognize that you're going to be going down the path of executing a transformation, knowing that you are going to ask your sales leaders to really change their behavior. Maybe it's the classic going from a transactional to a consultative organization. And you're going to ask a lot. You're going to raise the bar and and you're going to ask your sales organization to, to, go on this journey with you. I think the ability to build trust over the course of that journey while you're also changing behavior is critical because you're you're ultimately going to ask the organization to to change. And and as we know there are some that embrace change and there are some yeah. that will run from change. And it, it's the individuals within your organization, the ones that understand that embracing change is, is, is the path to, to being innovative, to, to really scaling, and then ultimately just to being that 1% to 2% better every day. How are you evolving as an individual contributor? How are you evolving as a, as a, as a team leader? Or how are you evolving as a, as a regional manager or a head of sales? Is it? Uh-huh. You talked about, so I'll paraphrase, right? Changing behavior requires, or asking people to change their behavior requires the ability to build trust with them. I think for people listening, it's certainly the people who report to you, you've got to be able to build trust, but you've also got to be able to build trust across your organization and up as well, right? You've got to help your CEO in your case or other members of the executive leadership team of the need to change. And that's, that can be a leap especially in an organization that's had some success, right? So how do you, how do you navigate all that? Because if I'm, I'm a frontline manager and I aspire to be a leader of leaders or a chief sales officer like you someday or chief revenue officer, that's something I haven't ever really had to do. So what do I need to know about building trust across the organization and, and up? What have you learned about that? I think the collaboration and the alignment on how you develop, execute, and measure the go-to-market strategy is is critical to the trust amongst your peers in 
the executive leadership team, the executive committee, with your CEO, because having the that alignment and 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 the collaboration and and truly being able to give a great example when you think in terms of the customer centric organizations and putting the the client first when you are managing and developing stakeholders such as your CTO the chief product officer chief of strategy maybe a CMO it's being aligned so that there's one voice that ultimately is going out to the client and putting that client first. So that way, reducing or minimizing any fragmentation as it relates to the positioning of the offering, the value that we're providing. And it it begins with the alignment and the collaboration at the most senior levels across all the different parts of an organization. So that trust and that alignment is, it comes first. And And what's so powerful is when you have the stakeholders of an organization so well aligned and collaborating effectively, the organization within those parts of the the firm see that, they recognize that. And now you're really creating this flywheel to a certain extent that accelerates because of how well you and the peers in the C-suite, work together and communicate together and collaborate together. It's almost that over-communication, especially as you go down the path of executing a transformation. Yeah. So to summarize and paraphrase all at once, trust and alignment have to precede change. Before you're, before you're asking anybody in the organization to change behavior, you've got to have that trust and alignment at the senior most levels. Otherwise, you don't necessarily get the support or... Is that, is that essentially what you're saying? 100%. Because if you're, if you're looking to, to execute effectively, the organization at the most senior levels need to be able to row in the same direction from a messaging standpoint, from an execution standpoint, and then ultimately from a measurement standpoint and to ensure that we're measuring what matters and we're aligned on those milestones. It, it really begins with the define the winning aspiration. What does great look like? Because if you're not aligned with your chief technology officer, your chief product officer, maybe your CMO on what great looks like, as you're heading down that path, six months into this journey, there's misalignment on how well you're doing and what what great really looks like. So all of that, I believe, comes more in the the development of that go-to-market. And then the execution part and the measurement part comes, uh, that's continuous. Sure. Yeah. Now it's brilliant. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. I think um, at the end here, when I summarize, this links back up with the expectations we set for the people in our organization too, right? We know what good looks like. This is how the work needs to be done. We can define it. 
and we can constructively, positively hold people accountable to meeting those expectations, right? I mean, that's what this leads to, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's always been very important to me to have well-defined roles and responsibilities, clear swim lanes, and crystal clear the expectations. And, and once again, I'm going to tie it back to trust because I've always communicated what the organizations can expect from me and, and the sales leadership team. And for me, it's been rather clear and simple. As sales leaders, we have three responsibilities, maximizing revenue, promoting the firm's strategic initiatives, and developing career paths. And I've always believed that if we're not focused on those three big rocks, it's not a good use of our time. And I would challenge our sales leaders that if we weren't focused on maximizing revenue, promoting the firm's strategic initiatives, or developing career paths, that really... And, and once again, it comes back to the, the process, the inputs, to be able to get to the outputs that you desire. I've always been a big fan of some of the sports analogies that John Wooden or or uh, uh, Nick Saban or uh, Bill Walsh would always talk about the process and and that the score will take care of itself if if you focus on the inputs and and really think and be thoughtful about focusing on the on the areas that we can control versus simply looking at the outputs and determining if that was a successful quarter. Of course, at the end, the, the, the quantitative data will, 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 will inform you of that. But what's, what's, been the, what's been the inputs as it relates to the outputs? Sure. Yeah, we'll know what the score was at the end for sure, right? So, so just thinking about your career, I said at the top kind of what your background is, you know, 17 years at Bloomberg and five years as a chief sales officer at Wheels Up getting ready to start a good long run with Prequin. Uh, you know, this is, it's unusual to find somebody who's had uh, so much success as a sales leader and long stints in companies have grown so quickly. So I'm going to presume either you're a glutton for punishment or you love this. <laughs> and I, and from knowing you and the conversations we've had, I know you love, it, right? I know you, you love the job and you know, you love developing people. What is it that you love most I'd about say, doing this job? You know, part, part of this evolution that we talked about earlier, Matt, of of that we all undertake as as leaders, and and certainly mine over the last twenty years has had ups and downs, and and areas where I've 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 learned more, and and uh, and and sometimes being a little more stagnant and trying to re-energize that learning curve. But what I've really loved is is the evolution of of serving leadership, and and really. I really truly believe our most effective leaders strive to serve others and and rather than accrue a power or take control, it's it's really that servant leadership. And what I've loved is the the personal and the professional growth that I've been a part of as it relates to so many people that I've worked with and helped hit their goals, whatever they might be. And as you know, part of the key of 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 really being able to to understand what makes people tick is, is the getting to know the people and, and so many of the relationships that I've built up and learned from, as well as being able to, to, uh, be uh, fortunate enough to lead as well. So what, what I've loved the most is, is the people. It really, the relationships, the people, and when you're winning, there's nothing better. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I'll just, you know, it's, you wouldn't know this necessarily. You've heard maybe a couple of the episodes or the recent interviews 
anyone listening to the show just heard something that's very similar to something I've heard from other successful leaders, which is the number one thing that they get out of doing this, this job that they love the most is the development, the relationships and seeing other people succeed. No one ever says the money, the money's there, sure, right? But it's, it's, it's always some version of, I love seeing other people grow. I love seeing them be surprised by how much they've developed. Words to that effect. So it's just your version of it, right? It's, 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 it is, it's notable that this is what the best leaders are saying. So for the people listening, I want them to take that away for sure. Because if, if they're not getting great uh, reward or not loving the job, I wonder... How much are you developing people? Are you are you actually seeing that happen? And if not, why not? What can you do about that? Because that's that's what the best leaders love most about the job. But it, it really is, yeah, it really is that career path development. And and it's not so much that it's so structured, but it's it's that coffee in the middle of the day sometimes. It's maybe the breakfast meeting, it's it's maybe the late night call, and and you and you're continuing just to cultivate the relationships. It's it's when you're going through adversity and 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 you're 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 challenging each other. It's it's all the things that really comes back to how do we how do we just focus on getting one to two percent better every day and, uh, across everything that we do, and uh, and it comes down to the the development and investing in the development culture. I, I truly believe there's the there are certain organizations that really understand the value of investing in a development culture. And ultimately, it, I believe it, it it enables you to do more with less because of how how you how you really kind of sharpen the tools and and refine the skill sets and sell more effectively. Having been through that, not only doing the job myself, but coaching others to do the job, I know how challenging that can be, right? Because we are a performance-driven, a highly measured function all the time. And we usually have people telling us what the scoreboard says, even if we're not actively watching it. We're like, I know, but we're, we're, we're developing people here, right? What is the uh, What would you say is the most challenging aspect of, of leading a sales organization? And, and what have you done about it? I can infer change is hard, right? We've talked a little bit about that. But is there anything else, anything else that you'd call out that is... Uh, that you'd say is is generally a challenge. I truly believe if you know the the ability to focus on the areas that you have control over, and it comes back to those those well defined swim lanes. As you know, Matt, when you're in difficult times and challenging times, sometimes we you have organizations that start to internally look at different areas of of uh, well. Maybe the product didn't hold up. Maybe you know uh, the the positioning of the of 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 the collateral. If there's you know so many different areas that you could fall into the trap of not being accountable, and that's why I've always challenged the sales organizations that I've led to to focus on our swim lane, focus on what we can control, and let's focus on those inputs and have faith and confidence and trust in our in our teammates in other areas that they'll do the same. And I think when you when you have that type of mindset, I'll bring up that sports analogy and coach Belichick with the Patriots talking about, you know, there's there's one sign in the Patriots locker room as it relates to inspirational quote. 
but there's only one sign and it's three words and it says, do your job. And if everybody focuses on their, you know, role and their responsibilities, it's amazing what can be accomplished. As a lifelong New York Giants fan, I still think of Bill Belt against the, you know, coming from the Giants. I, all the credit goes to the Giants organization. So let's just, let's remember <laughs> where he came from. Anyway, all right. So, so, so I was joking, we're trying to cover 25 years of wisdom here in 25 minutes. And, and so I've got one last question to ask you, which is meant to kind of be purposely open and vague and to capture any other gems or nuggets that are in your brain that I have not pulled out of you just yet. And it's, and it's what else? What else, should, what else do we need to know here about leading sales organizations that we haven't already talked about? Well, I had a mentor years ago, Matt, that challenged me to come up with my six-word story. And they said, how would, how would, you, how would you define your six-word story? And it, it took me some time. And I think it's important for each and every person to, to think about that and, and how they define themselves. And, and for me, it's continue to learn, embrace change, and passionate. So those six words, continue to learn, embrace change, passionate. You know, when you think about it, you know, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's longtime partner, said, for those who keep learning will keep rising. And I've always attempted to ensure that the learning curve, that we're, we're learning every day, because when you have an organization uh, from, from the top down that's continuing to learn, com comes back to how do, you, how do you get to that 1% to 2% better? And Einstein said the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And when the organizations that embrace change, change is constant. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great has ever been achieved without enthusiasm and passion. So I would challenge all your listeners to say, what, what's your six-word story? And, and for me, it's kept me grounded in, in the leader that I'm today and and quite candidly, the leader I'll be five years from now as I continue to learn, embrace change, and, and be passionate. Wow. What's your six-word story? So, you know, usually at the end of a conversation like this, I'm like, I know I've got the three or four things I'm going to summarize for everybody at the end of this. I got a lot of work to do here because I've got to pour through everything you've shared and figure out like, what's the, but I like that. I'm going to, we are going to steal that and give that challenge to people listening to the show. What's your six-word story? But one quick note of reflection here. You also quoted Mulder, right? Those who keep learning, keep rising. That's the spirit which, with which I think all of us leaders have to approach our roles, right? There's this, and there's a certain degree of humility that's required to be willing to keep learning. And it is absolutely one of the things that I, like when I meet you and all the things, I, you know, I, I would expect you to, to, you know, be, you know, sort of, uh, boastful and, and, and prideful about your accomplishments, right? But that's just not Ken Napolitano. So just isn't who you are. And I appreciate you being willing, being willing to share with our audience here. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to summarize and capture some of the ideas that you shared. At some point, Ken, I'm probably going to have to have you back if it's okay, because we can't possibly get 25 years of sales leadership wisdom into it. Uh, uh, another con uh, one conversation. So so I'll, I'm going to come back to you, if you don't mind, it's somewhere down the line, perhaps next year, uh, and see what you've learned, because I'm certain you're going to have an answer to that question. It would be my pleasure, Matt. I, I really enjoy the interaction and, and certainly the work that you've done over the years. So kudos to you. And certainly, I've put a lot of it in practice, and I'm thrilled to say 
as I've executed it, it's been uh, really effective as I've grown as a leader and continue to grow. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Well, Ken, thank you. It's been a wonderful half hour. I know everybody's going to be knocked out by this episode. I'm going to get to that summary. Thank you so much for joining. I will talk to you soon. Be well, Matt. Thank you. Wow. So much to say about that conversation with Ken. As I said at the top, I don't know how we're going to capture 25 plus years of sales and leadership success and wisdom, but I think we did it quite well. I'll, I'll try to pull out just the, the few things that resonated most with me. My challenge to you will be listen to this episode fully and write down some of the ideas that Ken shared, because if you aspire to be the, you know, the global head of a sales organization, or even just to be a really effective frontline leader or leader of leaders somewhere, um, the man uh, knows what knows of what he speaks, right? He is really, really sharp and articulate about what it takes to be successful as a sales leader. So he said a few things. He talked about his experience at Bloomberg, and one of the things that he learned from a leader there was the and factor. And he talked about um, what it means to be both uh, effective at the pull and the push, to be great at diving deeply into the data, driving a number, and addressing the sort of the EQ side, the soft skill side of the business. What I take away from that is, I think some people lean too heavily perhaps in one direction or focus on only one aspect, uh, only focused on the number and looking at the data and never get out from behind the desk, or too, too focused on the art and the soft side and never really go deeply into the data to diagnose what's going on in the business. So the end factor, I think, is really a cool idea and something for us to think about applying. Ken said a bunch of things that I think are important. He's been in organizations where change was required. And one of the things that he said was changing behavior requires the ability to build trust. Another thing that he said on the same note was trust and alignment have to precede change. So Today, we talked a little bit about, well, what does it take to build trust and, and how, how do we drive alignment, whether that's in the executive leadership team or it's simply uh, with you and your regional sales team, right? You're a frontline manager, driving alignment, building trust before you ask your people to change their behavior in support of some new initiative. You have to have built trust. So as you hear that, I want you to think about what am I doing today to build trust and not erode it? What am I doing to create alignment? And how can I use the kind of the pull versus push factor here? How does that apply to my job today? So that's just one snippet of one of what Ken talked about. He said a few other things that I want you to, to continue to think about. Something he said was, you know, those who keep learning, keep rising. And every day we need to be thinking about how do we get that, that just one or 2% better every day. And the leader's responsibility is to build a development culture, create this sort of environment where people are able to grow, get better one to 2% every day. Another thing that he talked about that lines up really closely with something we've heard with other guests on the show, and that I, I know that I've talked about, is the importance of setting clear expectations as a means of building trust. Also, as a means of setting people up to be successful and to help them to develop. So 
those are some of my takeaways. As you re- as you listen to today's episode, I hope you were taking notes. If not, listen back. Ken's awesome, a guy that we can all learn from. So I want to thank Ken for joining us. In our next episode, I've got another fantastic guest uh, with many, many years of success as a sales leader. You're going to be thrilled to hear that next episode. In the meantime, this is Matt McDarby, host and author of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye for now.